today in a most momentous and spectacular what the conspiracy, the one, the only, the most associated associate professorial professor, the M. the Dentith, associate professor M. Dentith, will tell me about... about... Uh, oh, come on, give me a clue. Okay, I'll give you three clues. Clue number one, it involves words. Clue number two, it's all about the Benjamins, baby. Clue number three, it's often found in op shops and charity stores. Uh, veteran character actor Steve Buscemi. Are you right? Are you wrong? Who knows? I mean, this particular line is part of a pre-written script, so frankly, even if you manage to guess the topic, which past me very much doubt, I'm saying nothing. Gah. Well, it says here I say gah in the script, and it says here gah, well, it says here I say gah in the script. Frankly, if I had lost the will to live, this would disturb me. It suddenly got very meta here, just like the topic of this week's episode of What the Conspiracy? I have Brussels sprouts in my pants. But why would you put that in the script? I don't know. I'm not even sure I'm the person who wrote this. Curious. Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Dentith. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. My name is Josh Addison here in Auckland, New Zealand, and in Zhuhai, China, we have Associate Professor of Philosophy and inventor of the aubergine, Dr. M. Rx Dentith. That's true. I am responsible for all the eggplants. My new plan is to introduce an interesting M fact at the start of every episode, and one of them is going to turn out to be true. I, I, yeah, I can't wait to find out which true thing you're going to say, mm. and also just how many lies that people might think are true you're going to talk about in future. Mm. But not now. So, it's a What the Conspiracy episode, um which you have taken time out of your fairly busy schedule to put together, I'm assuming, because you have that conference coming up quite soon. Yes, yeah, so basically next week I will be helping to organise a conference, the first international conference on conspiracy theories, which is technically being hosted by Brian Keeley at Pitzer College all the way over in LA, but I've been doing a certain amount, and I'm saying that vaguely, of organisation for this conference over... Well, basically since November of last year. But because the conference is getting awfully close, there is a lot of administration going on in the background, which is why we will not be recording an episode next week. Because next week, no. I am envisioning there's going to be an awful lot of administration to be done because mixing an online conference and academics is never a good idea. People, by and large, do not understand technology. Academics, by and large, understand technology even less. I mean, uh, I mean, it is also it's also possible they're not people. But if they're not people, I have to come up with a completely different argument. Right. Like to leave things to the last minute, do they? Those academics. Well, it's more you send them a link and then they click on the link and they don't understand what the link does. Or they oh, click on the link and it invokes, for some reason, the wrong browser. Or they click on the link and you discover that they're trying to click on the link on a Commodore 64. Frankly, right. that's not unsurprising. Hmm. So that's, what's, that, that, that's why we're letting you know right now there will not be 
uh, an episode recorded next week. But there is an episode recorded this week because that's what we're doing right now. Um, if we weren't recording the episode right now, our lives would be slightly stranger than normal, I think. This is the point in time where we discover that we've we've forgotten to click record, and thus we've talked mm. about recording an episode whilst we're not recording an episode. Although, of course, if you're listening to this, this means either we are recording an episode, or we had to go back and start recording the episode again, and then put in the possibility we weren't recording it in order to cover our bases. Things get very confusing from here on in. Mm. But maybe maybe only half as confusing as normal, because uh, once again, this is a What the Conspiracy episode, and it's your turn, so I, I kind of get to sit back and go, hmm, that's interesting, every now and then, uh, as you do most of the talking. So... Uh, Unless we have any other admin, should we just should we just make a start? We shall start around about now. It's time to play What the Conspiracy. So Josh, I think this might be a topic you've at least heard of, although okay. I'm hoping you won't know that much about it. Josh. Have you heard of the book Wild Animus? It sounds familiar, but I'm going to say no, because I'm not not recalling any details. Okay, well, you might be in for a time. Now, I'm not entirely sure that this actually is a conspiracy. It's more a mystery than a conspiracy, although it's also fairly easy to see how parts of it involve secrets and requires large-scale organization across the globe, which at least suggests some degree of conspiracy, given that we don't really know much about what I'm going to talk about. And actually, one of the problems with the entire Wild Animus discussion is that we're dealing with an... Oh, actually, I said, I've, we, we didn't ask the th these three questions. Well, I thought we were doing things differently for a new year. No, and well, I've, it's too I've, late I've, now. And, You've yeah, thrown the game away. So. It is too late. Although, yes, I mean you know it's a book. You don't. All right? Can you guess what the time frame is? I mean, I suppose we can do the time. We frame. know the what. The where is the world of literature? I no, assume, it's, 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 it's not just us. A, yeah, it is. The, it's the literal earth. Yeah, and uh, but the when wild animus. I mean, it sounds a bit. I don't know. Is it so it's a, bit, a little bit early nineties, maybe? 2004. Yeah. 2004. 2004. Ah, there we Which, go. I'm, I'm either ahead of or behind my time in some way. But 2004 in internet time is kind of weird in that an awful lot of stuff from 2004 no longer exists on the internet. Oh, yes. I mean, 2004, mm. we still have GeoCity pages and the like. And of course, they're completely gone. A lot of the websites which would have contained information about wild animus have been lost to history. And so to a certain extent, the mystery here is the fact that we don't know much about what was going on at the time. All we've got are the stories being told after the fact. So Wild Animus is a book. It is a book by a man by the name of Rich Shapiro. It was published back in 2004 by the press too Far. Now, Too Far was Rich Shapiro's own publishing company, and he published his own book, Wild Animus, in a print run of 50,000 copies for the first edition. 
Is he related to Ben Shapiro? No, it's spelt completely okay. differently. Different Shapiro, right? Yeah. I thought there might be some colour there. H A P E R O as opposed to S H A P I R O. I think so, yes. I should point out, it does appear that whilst Rich Shapiro has some interesting views, he doesn't appear to be the asshole that Ben Shapiro turns out to be. Well, that's good. Well, that is my, that, that's my little bit of political colour for this This Controversial this opinion, Ben Shapiro's a bit of a dick. Now, self-publishing your own book is one thing. Self-publishing your own book with an initial print run of around about 50,000 copies is another. People have tried to run back of the envelope numbers for the cost of such a print run, and it would have been remarkably high, but it's a bit hard to work out what the economies were back in 2004 because we're dealing with different costs of production, and we've got the advent on print-of-demand occurring at that time. And so it's a little bit hard to know how much this print run would have cost. And we're also not entirely sure that the 50k number is correct because by and large that information comes out of Rich Shapiro and his talk about the book as opposed to an actual number in a ledger somewhere. However, at the same time, we've got a good reason to think that 50,000 copies for the first print run has to be somewhere in the ballpark because Wild Animus was distributed worldwide, so Shapiro lives in the US, he's still alive, the book was distributed around the world, but more importantly, the book was distributed worldwide for free. No one has ever bought a copy of Wild Animus. Okay, so what was it? how was it distributed? I assume it wasn't put on bookshelves with a price of free, or was it? Well, so the book was given away normally at festivals or events or on the street. And when it was given away, it was given away in fairly interesting circumstances. So, for example, at some book events, the book was given away by actors who were dressed as rams who would literally stampede into events. In Europe and Australia, at music festivals, women dressed up as wolves would encircle people and hand out the CD version of Wild Animus. Because I forgot to mention, Wild Animus is not just a book. It's a book, it's an audiobook, and it's an accompanying soundtrack to the book and the audiobook. My goodness. And this is all just given away, given away, Just given away, given away, given away, given away, given away now. Hmm. Uh, a joke that only New Zealand listeners are going to understand. Well, it's Red Hot Chili oh, Peppers joke, surely. Oh, actually, no, sorry, no, you're, you are quite right. For so, I, was, I, I was thinking that was a Supergrove reference. Ah, that's can't get enough. Yeah, see, I was, I was confusing my, yeah. my Chili Peppers, give it away, give it away, give it away now, with my can't get enough, can't get enough now. Carl mm. would be so disappointed in me, so very ah, disappointed. Your prize student, your number one... Oh no no! no. I, I I never taught Carl. I I, I I did graduate work at the same time as Carl. Ah, I see. Anyway, enough enough star promoting breaking. I don't know. Whatever it is you're doing, stop it and tell me more about this book. So Shapiro also paid for the creation of book club directories 
of book clubs in the US. So he could then offer the books for free to those clubs. So not only is he giving away his book, he is paying for the creation of directories of book clubs to then be able to send free copies of those books to those clubs. So the impression I'm getting is of a person with with a fair amount of time and money on their hands who really, really wants people to read slash listen to his book. Yes, and not just that. He may even have paid people to fake demonstrations against the book on the basis it contains descriptions of animal cruelty. Ooh. So, so as to, to drum up a bit of controversy and buzz around the book, I assume. Is that the... I mean, is that, the that, is the, that is the assumption that's being made. I mean, there's no other reason Ooh. why you'd pay for someone to demonstrate against your book unless you thought that all press was good press now remember this is back this is back 2004 Mm -hmm. the book is still being given out in 2010 because we have an instance where the yale police department and the new haven bomb squad responded to what they thought was a report of a suspicious package outside woodford hall at yale where said package turned out to be a brown cardboard box loaded with copies of Wild Animus. That's six years after the Mm -hmm. book's first print run, and it's still been given away worldwide. So have we reached the point where it's time to talk about what Wild Animus is? No. No, 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 we have not. Keep me in suspense. I have have a personal story here, because Mm -hmm. I received a copy of this book which would have been sometime around about 2005, 2006. I didn't get it from a woman dressed as a wolf or a person dressed as a ram. I was sitting in my office at the University of Auckland and someone came in who'd been given a copy of it on the street. Or so they claimed. And they said that they, this person was not just giving away a single copy. They had a box of books at their feet and they were giving away copies to anyone who would walk by. And so they'd snagged two copies so I could have a copy of it as well. And it sat mm. on my shelf at the University of Auckland for quite some time. I have to say I never cracked open the cover. I never read a single word within it. It was simply a weird book that had been given to me by someone who had been given a copy of it. But nonetheless, I have seen copies of Wild and Animus in almost every single Salvation Army store I've ever been to back home in Aotearoa, New Zealand. It seems that a lot of copies were given away, and they all sit pristinely on the shelves of second-hand stores and opportunity stores back home, because I don't think anyone's actually ever read this book. I think it's been given away. I don't think it's been read to any large extent. Mm. It almost sounds like some sort of a, I don't know, like a drug dealer with a really bad business model or something. The fact that nobody opens them means maybe he, maybe if you had, you'd have found it would have been hollow on the inside with a shape cut out of the pages and he was smuggling something somewhere for no obvious reason for free. So I'm not saying he's a good drug dealer. I'm saying he might have been a very, very bad one. Well, actually, now I'm thinking about the possibility, maybe there was money in every single book. Maybe the fact Mm. that none of us ever cracked open the pages meant that there are hundreds of dollars sitting in copies of those books in op stores all around the world. And we missed out on a windfall. I mean, 
it could go a lot deeper. No one's read the book, mm. so no one knows what's inside of it. Actually, that's not true. Some people have read the book. However, if you go to Goodreads and you look at reviews of the book, most of those reviews, a little bit like the Todd Noy book we discussed last year, are stories about people about how people got a copy of the book, rather rather than being reviews of the content of the book. Now, in the Todd Noy situation, we know that that is a kind of elaborate prank. People are telling weird and wild stories about how they got their copy of the Drago book because part of the legend of spreading the legend of Todd Noy is making up strange and unusual stories. But when it comes to wild animus, people tell stories about receiving a free copy of the book when they bought a pizza online. And these appear to be legitimate stories because, once again, no one buys this book. This book is given to you in weird circumstances. That's the animus behind wild animus. Mm. Well, now I'm thinking it's some sort of a... It's, it's more of a horror movie vibe, and he's part of some weird cult, and if you'd actually read it, it would have opened your mind to some sort of bizarre secrets, and you would have been transported to an alien dimension or something so i'm thinking now now i'm thinking you might have dodged a bullet well so you asked about the book itself do you want to talk mm. first about the book or about the author which which direction do you want to go josh book or author? i think start start with the book and then we'll then we'll look at the man behind it okay well let me let me give you the abstract of the book which actually comes from rich shapiro's webpage so here is the abstract of Wild Animus, the first book he wrote. There are seven other books we can discuss. But here it goes. Here is the abstract for Wild Animus, the book, the CD, the soundtrack. How far would you go to find yourself? Wild Animus tracks the reckless quest of Ransom Altman, a young Berkeley graduate who, roused by his literary heroes and love for his girlfriend Lindy, resolves to live in a new world of inexhaustible desire. Ransom's deepening identification with the wild mountain ram, whose passion and wisdom he seeks, drives the young lovers north, first to Seattle, then to the remote Alaskan wilderness. Alone on the unforgiving ridges of Mount Wrangell, his imagination increasingly unhinged, Ransom begins to devise and act out a dangerous animal mythos, which he documents in a first-person manuscript and in songs or chants that details his transformation and pursuit by a pack of strangely familiar wolves. The feverish hunt leads from the wilds of civilization and back again, and when the lovers return to brave the perilous mountain together, the truth behind Ransom's imagined transformation emerges. What they discover in those frozen heights threatens their love as well as their sanity in their lives. Is Ransom inspired by a transcendental truth or prey to a misguided fantasy? As his grip on reality weakens, the reader shares Ransom's fears, his hopes, and his extraordinary discoveries. Right, I have to say, the first, I don't know... Three or four sentences of that were exactly what I was expecting. Some sort of trashy, erotic, maybe maybe softcore porno pornography thing, but then it, then it starts getting a little bit more uh, existential, so now I'm not quite sure what to think. Now, here's a plot summary from Goodreads, and it's very short. 
I'll tell you the ending. A column of lava erupts from beneath his feet while he is dressed in a goat costume and wolves are mid-air tearing him apart. Is column of lava a euphemism? No, column of lava. Oh, lava. Although is that maybe, a euphemism? I mean, although may, maybe, maybe I misread that. Only the tape will tell. Mm. A column of lava erupts from beneath okay. his feet. Now, apparently this is actually not much of a spoiler because apparently the book starts with a flash forward to the main character being dead. Okay. I mean, so uh, my, 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 my basic reaction to that synopsis, I think, could be summed up as, What? Oh, what? No, no, believe me, you don't know what what means until you find out about the synopses of his other books. So he has no, eight okay, other books. Keep coming. I've got Too Far, The Hope We Shall Seek, Arms from the Sea, Rin, Tongue and Dorna, Balcony of Fog, Island Fruit Remedy, Dissolve, and The Slide That Buried Rightful. Uh, and some of these, some of these abstracts are... They're pretty neat. Let me give you the abstract for The Hope We Seek. Mm -hmm. What kind of vision and subterfuge might it take to inspire the kind of belief that drives human aspiration and achievement? Zachary Knox, a sharpshooter known as the Bullseye Telepath, heads north in search of gold. On his way, he meets Sephai, a magnetic woman on the trail of her lost brother. But on arrival, they find the mining camp is home to a cult. The mine boss, Trevelyan, rules the camp like a despotic priest, and at the centre of his faith is hope, an elusive goddess for whom the miners toil, enduring increasingly perilous trials as they pursue her into the depths of the earth. Zack determines to overthrow Trevelyan, guided by Sethi's cryptic directions, until hope appears and reveals the astonishing future she has in mind for him. Hmm. Can I can I hear the synopsis for Island Fruit Remedy? Because out of all of those titles, that one kind of stuck out as a sounds slightly more like a like a sequel to Doctor Mario or something. I'm not sure. Okay, here it is. What might it take for a spurned fantasist to find hearth and home? What is a romance writer whose wife leaves him, stung with a head full of fantasies? He hastens to Key West to heal. On the key, Wood encounters women with names and personalities of tropical fruit. Each holds a mirror up to his romantic ideals, and with one, he forms a deep connection. But the mystery of the elusive papaya is a fantasy he can't set aside. <laughs> and it threatens okay. to destroy everything until in his greatest moment of need, Wood conjures the ultimate teacher. Those elusive papayas, honestly, I've long suspected. I, I don't see any papayas around here, do you? No, none around. That, that's how elusive they are. Yeah, no, that, tra that, that, that all checks out. Let me give you the synopsis. I'm, I'm totally for with you. Arms from the sea. What yeah. kind of sea change in our, in our ideals might we need to re refashion our world for the better? Lyle is a young man who hates his life in the state of salt, a cultural and literal desert. He vandalizes a state icon, then swallows a poison pill that transports him not to death, but to a liminal realm, blue, aquatic, and wholly alien. He's rescued and shepherded by henchmen of the polyp, god of the oceanic world they call heaven. A series of encounters unfolds between Lyle and the monstrous seductive god who gradually reveals his grandeur and mysterious purpose. Lyle is horrified at first, but soon finds soon find himself falling for the polyp and the potent and bizarre creative potential he represents. I It's reminding me a little bit of... Um, I'm, I'm trying to look it up. There's a, there's a film, a film that I was reading a thing about recently. It's a Spanish 
sort of horror drama film. What was it called? The it's a, a sort of about a woman who's sort of having weird weird times, and her husband is being distant, but then it turns out he's secretly gay, and sort of relationship dramas. Meanwhile, on a farm. Uh, an elderly couple has recovered a sex alien from a meteor website and various women come and have tentacle sex with the sex alien and it's like very serious foreign film relationship drama with tentacle sex with aliens and the 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 synopsis though the the, the synopsis of it is basically one paragraph um, relationship, oh, uh, serious, serious, serious. The second one starts, Veronica is a young woman who's been having sex with an alien in an elderly couple's farm. Uh, that's, that's the vibe I'm getting off of these. I'm not sure. Or there was that film last year, the Irish film starring Christopher Walken doing an apparently very bad Irish accent where it turns out that it's a romance story between oh. two neighbouring farmers one of whom thinks he's a bee. Right. It is here. I just managed to find it's the Untamed. Um, so j- j- just just as a point of comparison, this, this this is what I'm hearing when I'm listening to you read out these synopses. It sounds to be just like this is this is the Wikipedia page of the Untamed. A young mother of two, Alejandra, this is a Mexican film rather, not Spanish, uh, is unhappy in her marriage to her husband, Angel, who is in a secret affair with Alejandra's brother, a nurse named Fabian. In public, however, Angel makes fun of Fabian and gays in general. Alejandra is desperately unhappy in her marriage and almost extremely sexually frustrated. Veronica is a young woman who is sexually infatuated with a tentacled alien creature originating from a crashed meteor that an elderly couple's kept in a barn in the countryside. She's been visiting the alien for years, having sexual encounters. It's that, that's what I'm hearing. That's, that's what you sound like to me. Anyway. I'm going to give you one more, yep. then we'll move on to Rich Shapiro, the man, the myth, the legend. Mm. This is a synopsis for the book Dissolve. What if you could imagine and embrace a transmutation story about your own ending? Wiley is a dying man, gripped by the memory from his time as a young textile trader on a remote island. His mentor, an aging gem hunter, had unveiled to him a stone never seen before. A watery rock replete with pearly orbs that, when bathed by moonlight, came alive. What Wiley witnessed left an indelible impression. Decades later from his hospice bed, Wiley resolves at last to pursue the orbs, constricting a younger man, Rohan, to locate, extract, and deliver the extraordinary rock back to him. Against staggering odds, Rowan holds up his end of the bargain, but remains mum about the mysterious conditions under which he carried out the work. With the rocks in his possession, Wiley implores Rowan to stay and surrounds himself with family, close and estranged. Hoping the orbs will afford him the ecstatic send-off, he envisions. That's not far from alien tentacle sex, quite frankly. Precisely. So, look, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I, I, I'm enjoying hearing about all of this, but I'm not seeing, aside from why would a person do this and give them away for free, I'm not seeing a lot of secrecy yet. Secrecy that could possibly be explained by a conspiracy. Well, so, I mean, the that... secrecy here is more... This is a worldwide organization of of someone organizing and giving away books, not just in North America, but around the world. So there's there's some large scale organization going on here to be able to distribute these books worldwide. As I say, part of the problem for this particular story is that all the information we have 
is basically lost due to large sections of the internet from the early 2000s not existing in anymore. So there's actually very little we know about Rich Shapiro the man. He has a website where he has a very potted bio that basically boils down to born in 1948 in LA, majored in English Lit at Berkeley, always wanted to be a writer, but basically became a venture capitalist instead. And when the tech bubble burst in 2000, he resurrected one of his dormant writing projects, Wild Animus, which is because there's a curious fact. If you go to his website and you look up Wild Animus, the copy of the book you can, you can get is the 50th anniversary copy. Now, I know that we're both not very good with numbers, but a book that came out in 2004 is not a book that, as far as I can tell, can be more than, say, 20 years old, which means that this book's genesis goes back an awfully long way because the 50th anniversary copy marks the first time he tried writing it. Right. So, so it's been 50 years since he first put pen to paper, yes. but not necessarily 50 years since it was first published. Yes, precisely. So okay. 50 years Correct. ago, he was an aspiring writer who just stumbled into being a venture capitalist instead. And from the sound of it, a very successful one in that he was a managing partner at Crosspoint Venture. Obviously, he has enough money to be able to write these books, give these books away for free and commission soundtracks because all of these books have soundtracks associated with them. It's not just yeah. the one about the guy... No. All of them have soundtracks. Chanting and some okay. of them have picture books associated with them as well. So there's there's a entire market around Rich Shapiro books. Some of them have even been reviewed in big book trade magazines. So you have things like Kirkus Reviews, which is kind of the book publishers magazine that publishers and distributors read. Historically, Kirkus reviews were very hard to get. Turns out at some point in the late 2000s, Kirkus reviews allowed people to pay for their books to be reviewed. So whilst Rich Shapiro's books all seem to have Kirkus reviews associated with them, there's a little bit of a suspicion that these reviews have been paid for. And of course, if you pay for someone to review your book, you are going to kind of expect them to give you at least a relatively positive review. It is also mm. notable that when these reviews are cited by Shapiro's website, he cites single lines from those reviews, which means it could say, this book is awful, but he does have an interesting turn of phrase when it comes to describing weird pearls from the ocean depths. And you might go, oh, just take the, mm. word, the weird pearls thing there. So the reviews themselves don't mean particularly much. Uh, let me give you from what we have surviving from interviews with Shapiro back in 2004-2005, some choice snippets of things he said. So he was asked, do you have any special writing rituals? What do you think his answer was? Just give a guess. What do you think his special writing ritual is? Um, he writes alone in a damp basement on a on an ancient typewriter uh while masturbating. <laughs> Actually so 
you almost it was the masturbating got, got, got right. 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 So here, here's the answer I like to have sex while while, while I'm writing <laughs> okay yeah what here we go yeah now admittedly I'm I'm actually quite curious to know what how that works logistically I mean mm. is he writing by hand is he using a laptop I actually really want to know how to have sex whilst also writing at the same time. That would be an important skill, I think. He's also asked... Be, yeah, getting two things done at once, it's efficient. Yeah. yeah. He also asked, what types of music does he like? Now, what kind of music do you think that Rich Shapiro likes? A man born in 1948. Um, I'm going to say ABBA. His answer was, music without predictable meter, music that doesn't follow predictable scales or chord progressions, music with verses and no choruses. Now, the interviewer follows this up with such as, and Shapiro's answer is quite telling, well, there's not much of that kind of music available, but I hear it in my head. I see. Yep. Yep. This, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm... I'm forming a picture of the man in my mind, and nothing you've said so far has contradicted that picture. Now, here's a nice bit. He was asked about why he writes, and his answer is, some people like to write because they enjoy putting their thoughts down. They enjoy the act of self-expression, the way a child likes to finger paint. You know, it just feels good. It feels good to me. But I don't think it's worth doing unless something important is being expressed. I liked words, and I like the power that words have to illuminate and change people's lives, but I didn't think it made sense for me to be a writer until I had something to communicate that was important. So the reviewer follows up with, and you found that? And his answer is, no, I just got tired of waiting. Mm. Almost a little bit of, I don't know, uh, sounding a bit sort of Andy Warhol there, like he's got a bit of a... He's he's putting on it, he's got a bit of a persona, he just likes messing with, with interviewers and is probably smiling smugly to himself the entire time. Oh, and believe this. me, I've got one final interview snippet, okay. which really does confirm that. So the interview mm-hmm. asks him, look, Too Far, which is the publisher, is your baby. Lots of readers avoid self-published books or dismiss them sight unseen. And his response is, well, I don't blame them. Any, everything worthwhile is put out by Random House. Large corporations are your guarantee of quality. <laughs> Well, he's a funny guy. I'll give him that. I, 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 I think I, I think I like the sound of him. Would, would that inspire you to read one of his books? Well, you know how I feel about reading books. Well, yes, but, I, um, as soon as I asked that question, I realised that even if it did inspire you to want to read one of his books, you're still not going to do it. Well, I, I tell you what, I do read books. I read books over the usually sort of one to two week period when I'm on holiday after Christmas. And there's generally literally nothing else to do, and I, I've read some some doozies in that environment. I think I think Wild Animus would actually fit right in. Oh, maybe maybe next year I should get you to read some Dan Brown. Well, actually, yeah. I mean, the the place where we've gone in the past sometimes they'll sometimes we'll bring books and sometimes there'll be books lying around. Uh, sort of, um, uh, we often sort of borrow a place that belongs to a friend of a friend, and yeah, there's been some, it's some stuff that I would refer to as sub sub Dan Brown. Um, so I think it's probably safe to say I will read almost anything when I'm at a, in a beach town, flopping around in the hot summer sun, not wanting to do anything, sweating like a person, sweating who like, sweats a, like an ox. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got one final little factoid here, which is... So, 
As noted, there's an audiobook of Wild Animus. As noted, the book, the soundtrack, and the audiobook were given away for free around the world. Which mm-hmm. meant that in 2009, according to WorldCat, which is the catalogue that libraries use to track what is held in libraries worldwide, the audiobook of Wild Animus was the number one audiobook in libraries around the world. That's not reflecting its popularity. It simply reflects that there were more copies of Wild Animus, the audiobook in libraries around the world, than any other audiobook, and by a significant margin. Oh, now I didn't ask, does does Rich Shapiro himself read the audiobook? Or did he hire actors for it? No, he hired someone to read it for him. Righto. Hmm. I believe be he produced the soundtrack for the first few books. Yes, I'm going to say, I'm assuming he, I assume he must have composed the music. Yes, or well, I believe the yeah. latter books have soundtracks composed by other people, or at least soundtracks right. which are co-composed by other people. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this is all of this is painting a picture of either someone who's has a has a inflated view of their own talents and has enough money um to force their their uh, uh self-regard onto the world at large or someone who's just a bit of a funny bastard and likes messing with people and has enough money to force that upon the world yeah i mean the, to me the story of wild animus is a case of someone who always wanted to write happened to get incredibly rich in the tech boom at the end of the 1990s, cashed out at just the right time, and then realized, well, I'm quite rich now. I can just publish my book regardless. And then went, I can not just publish my book regardless, I can get people to read it by simply giving it away for free. And then when I'm just going to do that for all my books, all of mm. my books. I mean, you can technically buy copies of his books from his website if you really want to purchase a copy. But the website is quite clear. Rich gives his books away for free. If you're in the right place and at the right time, someone's going to have a Rich Shapiro book to put into your greasy palms. Mm. That's an interesting story. So, so what is it? What is it that we don't know? What have we lost? What the, these websites that no longer exist were they? So his apparently there were people... a lot of interviews with him back in the day, which were all transcribed onto things like GeoCity sites and the like. There was a lot of discussion apparently back in the day about people getting copies of the books, which have just simply gone because GeoCity sites and the likes have all disappeared. So there's kind of an oral culture of people going, look, there used to be a lot more information about wild animus online, and now basically it's gone. It's now just this book which is ubiquitous in charity stores around the world, which does lead to the question as to why is it found everywhere from Auckland to Washington State? And because of that, we've kind of lost a lot of the information. It does seem that Rich Shapiro is quite happy to really not say that much about it. And that I think he kind of likes the mystery. Mm. So he is he is still alive. He must be in his mid, mid-late 70s now. Still alive and still writing books. Ah, oh, bless him. 
Yes. So is that is that the end of our it tale is. of Richard yeah. Shapiro? And so his, I mean, his strange, I, this, strange this is one of these things where I knew the story of Wild Animus, and I thought with a bit of research it would become a fairly interesting story because because of the way it was distributed around the world and the kind of mystery as to why was it distributed en masse around the world. So when I got my copy of Wild Animus and heard it was being given away for free, my assumption was it was a local New Zealand writer giving away promotional copies to drum up in, in, drum up interest. And then the surprise to find out that, no, this is an American book being given away for free was, oh, what's going on there? But unfortunately, it's also one of those things, the more I looked into it, the less information there was to actually talk about. We kind of have covered everything there is to know about Wild Animus and Rich Shapiro in under 40 minutes. So that that website of his, is that just synopses of the books and ways to get your hands on it? Yeah, and a very short, potted biography Mm. of his life. Oh, well. Nothing on YouTube? No no video interviews? Not that I saw, Nothing but then mentioned? again, I, I, I don't ever want to kind of ruin my YouTube well, L- yes. L- algorithm. I've kind of, I've trained it very carefully to only show me the kind of pleasant computer restoration videos or long plays I like to watch. If I start putting stuff in about conspiracies, it's going to get very dark very quickly. Uh, no, my YouTube algorithm is just is just chaos. My children, I think, use the same account as me. So there's annoying, shouty YouTubers and meme-ridden stuff, plus whatever random crap I happen to rouse as as at my whim. So I think I'm a lost cause. But um, do you have so some, maybe I, maybe, maybe have I can some, go some of the old baby shark on your YouTube. Ah, uh, there's a little bit, a little bit before the time of my kids. I think, or or possibly after, whatever it was, it wasn't a thing at the time when my children were most susceptible to that sort of thing. Interesting. So we're pretty much no. Actually, my, my my kids find Baby Shark just as annoying as you or I do. So at least we're spared there. But anyway, we didn't come here to talk about Baby Shark. We came here to talk about Rich Shapiro, and for me to go off on a tangent about Mexican tentacle sex movies. I'm not even sure how that happened now that I think back on it, but it did. Um, so, uh, I, uh, thank you for one thing that um, I, I do feel my life has been enriched by hearing the tale of Rich Shapiro and his his numerous books. Um, so, I think that's basically it for this episode. Is it? Yeah, you, I'm, no, I'm going to read out last one minute. more. Okay. Abstract. Yes. Yes. Please do. Please. So do. this is for the book Rim tongue and dawner what if our inner voices revealed a tug of war between powers that secure us to reality and those that for good or ill want us to hurl it away a new ice age has driven mankind to settlement at the equator in clemency a metropolis sheltered inside a transparent dome surrounded by glaciers planning luminary dawner hears female voices in his sleep as the voices become more insistent, he seeks help from neuroscientist Rin, who runs tests to identify the location and import of this interior woman who calls herself Tongue. Rin's increasingly invasive experiments help Dorna to visualize Tongue until he's able to fly through the cosmos of his brain and find the distant asteroid from which Tongue's voices beckon and provoke. 
Meanwhile, Rin and Dorna fall in love. Is Tung an agent of change, bringing desire and passion to their lives? Or is she Rin's worst enemy? With Rin's guidance, Dorna lands on an asteroid where Tung reigns supreme and explores mysterious landscape of flames and human monuments, a realm of rapture and portent that threatens to undo them all. Actually, you know, the other thing that reminds me of is um, Australian comedian Alice Fraser, who is a regular guest on the Bugle podcast, the one that uh, John Oliver used to do with the current host, Andy Zaltzman, before he moved to America and got famous. Um, she now hosts her own spin-off podcast called The Gargle, and she, she had, a, had a running gag for quite a long time of, um, of, of comedy synopses of romance novels by this fictional author, Dancy Lagarde, who she invented. And um, th- th- they are pure comedy for books that don't exist, and yet very, very similar. I should, I should put a link in when we put this online, because frankly, they are all worth reading as well. Fantastic. Um, mm, but um, yes, so there we go. Uh, uh, our lives have all been enriched, I feel. Uh, by the tale we've we've borne witness to today. So we're going to go now, but we're going to go and record a bonus episode for our beloved patrons, um, where we will talk about current events. We'll talk about life in the time of, of coronavirus, which has recently maybe claimed the life of, of singer Meatloaf. Um, there's been a bit of a bit more interesting protesty stuff happening in New Zealand uh, around COVID. So this, although, I mean, we haven't got as sick of talking about coronavirus as we did get sick of talking about Donald Trump, but it's probably getting a little bit close. But um, nevertheless, that is going to be the the, the main thrust of our bonus episode uh, this week. And if you'd like that thrust in your direction, then be a patron. If you are a patron, congratulations, your work is done. If you're not a patron and you'd like to be one, you can go to patreon.com and search for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. Um, and if you don't want either of those things and don't want us thrusting anything near you right now, uh, a, a, fair, a fair call, um, just thank you for listening in and, and, and tuning in this far. So I think, with all of that said, uh, that it's time to bring this 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 whole affair to a close, which I will do in the traditional method of saying goodbye. I'm going to say it's a pelvic thrust, a dozen seeing. Let's end the podcast again. That's it's good because Meatloaf was in Rocky Horror Picture Show. He was indeed. You've been listening to Podcasters Guide to the Conspiracy, hosted by Josh Addison and M. Dentith. If you'd like to help support us, please find details of our pledge drive at either Patreon or Podbean. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com.